And, and the Lord said, what are you doing with the gift I've given you? And I, I got on my knees in the shower and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I will never again feel unworthy or inadequate. And I know you will prepare me because you've called me. Today's episode is all about love. Love your spouse, love your children, love your neighbor, love your enemy, and love yourself. Welcome to Radical Abundance. I'm your host, Teresa Jansen, and all month long we are talking about love. And today's guest is Terry Kemp. When I first met Terry, she told me that she loves love. So who better to talk about love than the woman who loves love? Welcome, Terry Kemp. Teresa, thank you. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you today and share what the Lord has laid on my heart for your audience. Thanks, Terry. I know you do some writing about the topic of love and um, speaking about love and other things, because I know you love the Lord above all things. And I happen to know that you have a very special love story. Would you mind just sharing that story with us? Absolutely. And to do that, um, I have to back up just a little bit to my childhood and um, share that um, I'm a twin and my twin sister and I um, are very, very close. But uh, we were born a month early and I had multiple birth defects. And um, so over the course of my childhood, I had surgery after surgery after surgery. So I feel like my first 15, 16 years on this earth were in and out of hospitals, doctor's offices, and um, things like that. And so that really took a toll on my, uh, my confidence, my self-esteem, my value, my worth, um, and, and made it really difficult to um, become who I was called to become. And so I, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were pastors. There was a lot of love in our home. Um, all the wonderful things that God gave me, you know, really helped me go through all this. But as you start to reach ages of dating and marriage and your future, um, those things kind of creep up on you and you feel nervous about, you know, so many surgeries, so many scars, and what will your husband think of your body? And um, I'll stay PG um, with this podcast, but I did. That's a normal heart cry of a young woman that wants to get married and wants to, you know, be everything her husband desires. And so I, I met this man named Robert. We became best friends. And I was really just looking for a friendship. And I told my best friend at the time, uh, Jenny, that I said, I think he's, you know, he's going to introduce me to my husband because he knew everybody. and He was in all the Christian circles and we were just having a lot of fun being best friends. And the beauty of that is that the best friendship turned into romantic love and we ended up getting married. And only the Lord knew about my heart cry for, um, you know, giving my body to another person with all its, you know, imperfections, if you will. And so Robert was working for a, um, a company and the headquarters was in Pennsylvania. So he invited me to go to his Christmas party. And um, so he flew me to Pittsburgh, which I thought was just so cool that your boyfriend's flying you to, you know, his, where he's living to go to his his company Christmas party. And, um, and of course we had separate hotel rooms. We were trying to honor the Lord and keep our relationship pure um, until we were married. And at this point we were not engaged or anything. We just were dating with the purpose. And so um, after the Christmas party, we went, we were like, okay, what do we do now? It's like nine o'clock. And 
we decided to change clothes into something comfortable and, you know, watch TV, watch a movie or something. So I had on this romper and I don't know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, if you'll remember the big white collar and the zipper up the back, I just looked right. really cute. You have but to have the romper. <laughs> you have to have the right clothes, you know? And so I did not practice getting out of that outfit with my scoliosis and my limited motion um, flexibility, I couldn't get the zipper started in the back. And so I called Robert down from his room down the hall and I said, could you do me a favor and just meet me at my door and let me just turn around and you start my zipper to where I can reach it. And um, he goes, okay. And I said, no funny business, just come, you know, unzip my zipper just enough. And um, he said, okay, sure. And so I opened the hotel room door and turned around and I had my hand up as far as I could get on my back so that he could start the zipper and I could finish it. And um, he was still standing in the hall and I was in the doorway trying to maintain, you know, no funny business or anybody getting the wrong idea. And he leaned in and then he kissed my back. And I was like, oh, and I spun around real quick. And I said, no, I said, no funny business. And he goes, no, it wasn't that. And I said, okay, what was it? I looked up at him and he said, I kissed your scar. And he said, if I'm fortunate enough to become your husband, I will kiss every one of them as I can see them. And I just turned around and looked at him and I was just in shock that the Lord would give me someone that would love that kind of love. And it was a, you know, exceedingly and abundantly all I could ask or imagine. And I, you know, I turned around and he did not know the, you know, the desire of my heart or the cry of my heart or the concern of my heart for that part of my life and my body. And he said, I think battle scars make the best heroes. And so I just felt like that night was the Lord saying to me, I've got you. And I'm going to give you somebody that you cannot even imagine will love you and love every part of you. And so that was the night that the Lord showed me that he loved me exceedingly and abundantly beyond what I could ask or imagine. And that was in the form of a man named Robert Kemp. So I still get teary-eyed, and I'm sorry about that, but it just still means that much to me that God would give me that and show me that kind of love. And he knew my heart's cry, and he said, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you. And so fast forward um, almost a year, and on our wedding night, we were, you know, nervous and, you know, tired and getting changed and everything, and and, you know, we we came together and, you know, Robert kissed me up here and I was like, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> I said, you missed. And he said, no, I didn't. I said, you missed my lips. He said, I wasn't kissing your lips. I was kissing your lip. And I had I had a cleft lip and I had multiple surgeries on my on my nose and my lip and everything. And I have a scar on my lip. And so he had started our our coming together on our wedding night with a kiss to one of my scars. And, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that at that point. And then he kissed my nose because I have a scar here. And then he said, show me the, show me another one, show me another one, show me them. And he kissed every scar that I have before we came together on our wedding night. And God can, is the only one that can write a story that beautiful. Hallmark has nothing on the world. You know, and that's a love story that only God could write. And I'm so grateful that I was the recipient of that. And um, I cherish it and I don't take it for granted. I love it. 
and what God has given me in the marriage that we have. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary in November. And, you know, he's still blessing me with the love of my husband. And, and so I'm, I'm very, very grateful to him for that. Well, it is such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it with us. And I don't know many people who still will tear up talking about their wedding day and how they met their spouse 30 years later, but it is so beautiful. And it's also such great symbolism for the love that God has for us. He showed you love by giving you that husband. And then also, um, it's such a beautiful picture of, I, I like to think about Jesus kissing our scars, you know, and um, he, he finds it us beautiful with all of those inter- imperfections and what we exactly. see as imperfections. And exactly. I love the, the idea of battle scars too. It's just so, so beautiful. How did that impact or what brought you into having a ministry of speaking to other people and now writing for others? Well, because of the insecurities and things that I faced growing up, that's always, you know, Satan knows what our buttons are to push to keep us from becoming who God's called us to be. And so that played a big role in my life and in my um, my ministry. You know, my parents are pastors and, you know, I've always known ministry. And so I, I love ministry. I love service. I love laying down my life for another, that type of thing. I always have been like that regardless of being in front of people or not. But um, I was at a women's conference one time with Le- and Lisa Turkers was the speaker at my church. And um, my youngest was like in a carrier, in a baby carrier. And my husband said, you and your best friend, you know, you go to this conference and, um, you know, I'll keep the older two. And so we were sitting there kind of on the last row because I could get out easy if, you know, Lindsay needed to be changed or fed or something. And Lisa Turkers was speaking and um and as she was speaking she just was talking about a story of her own life and her own path to ministry and she said you know somebody in here i believe god's calling to a speaking ministry right now and then she kept going she just put that sentence right in the middle and then kept going and i had just i started dreaming about speaking and I, of course i told my husband it was a nightmare <laughs> I said, I had another nightmare. I was in front of a crowd speaking. He's like, you know, he thought it was crazy for me to call it a nightmare. But when you're insecure and you feel like, you know, who wants to hear what I have to say? Kind of. Well, they say that it's like, it's like the biggest fear that people have besides death, you know. Public speaking. Yes. I I love it myself. But uh, yeah. I do now because I yielded myself to his purpose. And I realized, Teresa, that it's not even about me. Right. And when I could take me out of it, I can do anything if it's for the Lord. And um, and so that day, I just started ugly crying in the back row. And and everybody else was turning around and looking at me like, what are you doing? And, and the Lord just dropped it in my heart. She spoke that to you because I told her to. And so that started the process. Of course, then I had to work through it. But when I started speaking, this is what this is. I loved it. I love to irritate the devil. I mean, I really like to irk him and make him regret picking on me or trying to tell me I was worthless because I believed that for far too long. And um, when I started speaking, I would get on stage with a solo cup, a red solo cup with the bottom cut out and a, a, a lunch sack paper bag. And I would say, this is me, you know, <laughs> 
yes. hyperventilating in the bag. This is me speaking to you. This is me with the Lord doing what God's called me to do. And then I just put the cup up like a microphone, like a megaphone and just say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And, you know, then I make the proclamation. So me, paper bag, God in me, megaphone. And then I just, you know, and I start speaking because that's the truth. And um, and so I feel like that the Lord you know, after so many years of me kind of hiding his gift in my heart and saying, oh, I'm preparing for that. I had, I had this, I'm not going to say vision or whatever, but I had this thought in the shower one time and the Lord always speaks to me in the shower because that's the only time I'm quiet and life isn't crazy. <laughs> but I had this thought of this girl that's newly engaged with a beautiful diamond ring on running around to everybody. Look, I'm engaged. Look at my gift. Look at the gift my my, you know, my lover gave me, you know, and, and the Lord said, what are you doing with the gift I've given you? And it was, and I, I got on my knees in the shower and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I will never again feel unworthy or inadequate. And I know you will prepare me because you've called me and you will give me the platform and you will give me the, you know, the people and the whatever, whoever to speak to that you've called me to. And never again, while i will I let Satan push those buttons of unworthiness? And so then I just started being, you know, very bold, very, you know, outgoing, which I was never. And now it is a joy to speak. It is a joy um, because when you're doing what God's called you to do, I mean, there's no greater peace than that. Amen. I mean, it's, That's a, right. high, it's a high like no other. And, um, and it's kind of funny because when I would when I would sit down after I spoke, I would kind of have this little kind of secret in my heart going, they just don't know how shy I used to be <laughs> and how good how that was so you and not me. And so when you take your focus off yourself and you yield yourself to his voice, his words, and his purpose, you can you can do anything. That's right. Well, in addition to speaking, I know that you've been doing some writing and you're working on a book that hopefully will be coming out soon. You told me about it and that it is a book about love, but not just the beautiful romantic love that we've been talking about so far and even the love that God has for us, that spiritual love, but all kinds of love. And you, you told me that each chapter has a, a different kind of person to love and lots of tips for ways that we can show love. Tell, tell us about one of those chapters and maybe give some examples of how um, we can love a person like that. Okay. All right. Well, I am working on a book and, and I don't want it to sound cliche. Oh, it's a book on love. I mean, there's millions of books out there on love, but I do, um, I want it to be grounded in God's love for us. And, you know, God sent Jesus because of love. I mean, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And then so Jesus's whole purpose on this planet was love, that he laid down his life for us. And so if we're made in the image of Christ, then love is in our DNA. Right. And so we should also lay our life down. I mean, John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for another. And so love and if you look at first Corinthians 13, that everybody knows is the love chapter, patient, kind, long-suffering, enduring, all those things can be easy at times and they can be hard at times. And so in my opinion, love is sacrificial. It's a choice. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's a decision that says, 
you know, God didn't feel like getting nailed on the cross for me, but he loved me so much that he did. He made the ultimate sacrifice. So I don't have to. So who am I not to love my neighbor or love my children like he would love them? And so, but I also am real creative and I'm, you know, I call myself sometimes artsy fartsy because I love creativity. I love putting a little exclamation point on the end of what I do for someone or what I give someone. And so I don't, you know, usually I don't just give you a gift. I'll add something to it or, you know, you know, do something fun or make it an adventure. But um, so one of the chapters, I'll just say it since it's Valentine's week is going to be how to love your spouse. And then others will be how to love your children, how to love your neighbors, how to love your enemies, how to love yourself and so on. And in the, at the end of each chapter, there'll be a little section where I will give practical fun ideas because some people will say, you know, my friends tell me all the time, Hey, I'm doing this for so-and-so. How can I, how can I spice it up or add to it or, you know, jazz it up. And so I just thought it would be fun after the meat of the chapter to add a practical application to each chapter with some ideas. And so, um, so one of them will be, I think it should start with, you know, how to love your spouse. And so, um, I will talk about, you know, married love and that kind of thing and, you know, the priority that they are and things like that. But um, I've had so much fun, you know, just trying things and, you know, you have hits and misses and sometimes you'll think, oh, this is a really great idea. And it just kind of falls flat and you're like, well, that didn't mean as much to him as it was supposed to. <laughs> but then <laughs> right. you just try again. You adjust and you do something different. And I remember like 15 or 20 years ago, probably closer to 20. I just hate to admit it. I bought my husband a red leather journal uh, with a little embossed heart on the front from Barnes and Noble. And I wrote in the beginning of it that this was to be our love journal. And then anytime we wanted to write an encouraging word, um, uh, write an apology, um, write an invitation to a date or um, some intimate time or whatever, we would write each other and then leave the journal somewhere that I knew it was written in or he knew it was written in. And so it became a really special thing for us to write in the love journal and leave it or you know, he would write it and leave it for me. That was a creative way to express love that's out of the ordinary. It kind of is like love letters, but, you know, I've written apologies in there You know, I've put monkey stickers in there and say, hey, when can we monkey around or, you know, something silly and fun right. or, you know, this is, you know, put your right hand on your left shoulder, put your left hand on your right shoulder and squeeze. And that's a hug from me because he travels for work. And so just silly stuff, but intimate stuff, just vulnerable vulnerability, but it turns into a legacy of your love story that you don't yeah. realize you're writing. And so, you know, after I'm gone, I don't care what my kids read about us, you know, right? I knew that they knew their parents loved each other so much. And the first time I gave it to Robert, he was going on a business trip and I wrote in it and stuck it in a suitcase and he was going to find out if he won an award. Um, they give us top sales awards every year to the, the reps that, and they win a trip. And we were so excited because this trip was to Greece and we, he had worked hard, was trying to be, you know, the top three people win the trip. And so I'd written in the love journal, if you win, read this. If you don't win, read this. And it was the same message. Oh, I love that. <laughs> The work that you did, we make a great team. If we don't win, you know what? And so it was the same message. If you, you know, and and that just ministered to him that you know he found that when he unpacked his suitcase and and um, things like that. My love was there for him. Everybody loves 
having someone invest time in making them feel special. And so, you know, you can, you know, we gave our kids some money for Christmas um, because of Robert's mom, uh, an inheritance we'd received and we wanted to pass a little bit down to them. So for Christmas, we gave them a Christmas ornament shaped like a dollar sign. And they're like, because I give them an ornament every year and they're like, okay, an ornament. And then we had written a rhyme, a poem that led them to go find the or- find the gift and we'd hung it in a tree in the front yard. And so the rhyme was, you know, leading them to go find it. And you can give them a check or an envelope with a bill or something in it, or you can make a funny, silly rhyme and send them out to the front yard to retrieve it. You know, so you look at it and you go, okay, that's more fun. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but that's what I love to do. That's what I love to do is just put a little exclamation point on what we're doing, the gift or the thought or the deed or the, you know, it, love is sacrificial. You know, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And then the greater love is no one than this, that you lay down your life. Love is inconvenient. Love is sacrificial. And um, it's hard to be kind all the time. Love is kind and patient. Patience is not easy. So when you want to extend that to someone, that's love because it, it doesn't come easy. And when you blow it, apologize and move on. I, you know, years ago when Oprah was on TV, I was watching a, um, an episode and Will Smith was on there and he and his wife, Jada. And he said one of the most poignant things that I've ever heard someone say about marriage. And it's kind of funny that I'm quoting him, but he said, I want to be a student of Jada. I want to get my master's degree in her. And so for anyone in your life that, you know, you've been blessed with to love your spouse, or if you don't have a spouse, your best friend, your family, extended family, um, if you have children, try to be a student of them. Try to get your master's degree, because if you're trying to get your master's degree in them and they're loving you, trying to get their master's degree in you, then everybody's a winner. Right. And so I, I just I just thought that was really neat. It's like I want to study my husband so well that I'm the one that knows him the most create creatively and the biggest, like you said, you know, big love, crazy love, you know. And so he deserves that. And you know, because God's given him to me as a gift, a treasure, and I want to treat him as such as much as I can. Well, I can see you definitely do have that gift of creativity. And it sounds like the book is going to be worth it just for all of those hints and tips and ideas. And I I love what you've shared, especially because it's about the experience, not about the money, not about the gift. And it's something that just about anyone can do. But you told me that there's a chapter in that book about loving your enemy. And I just have to ask, what's the tip that goes at the end of that chapter? How do you love your enemy in a practical way? I'll just speak from experience of what I've done and what I have found. Um, I I had someone in my life that had had hurt someone deeply that I love. And um, that person's mother was um, in the hospital and, um, the person that I love called me and said, can you pray for so-and-so's mom? Uh, they're fighting for their life. And I said, oh, sure. I love to pray. I love to pray for people's healing and pray for the sick. And I sat down that night and I started praying. It was just like my words were like flat and it was just like a struggle. And I was like going through quicksand and I was like, Lord, why in the world am I, I can't pray freely. And 
And the Lord said, you have unforgiveness towards her son. And I was like, oh, okay, well, somebody else can pray for her. <laughs> I had to admit that. So then the next night I sat down and I was praying for her and the same type of deal. And the Lord was like, you know, just check marking my spirit. You, you know what I've told you. And I got on my knees and I prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me for harboring unforgiveness. And then I walked through forgiveness of that person. And that was very difficult. But praying for his mother was huge. And I didn't want anything to block me from doing what God's called us to do as Christians. I also had a neighbor that, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That is in the scriptures for a purpose and a reason, because not all neighbors are easy to love. And uh, we live in houses that aren't too far from each other. And so this neighbor and I had been really good friends. And then we had a misunderstanding and it went real downhill quick and it hurt me. And um, I couldn't make it right with her, even though I tried. And um, we things that we had had in common, uh, we used to go antiquing and buy little dishes. And, you know, I bought one for her and I took it over to her house and knocked on the door and said, you know, I was out and I, this this made me think of you and I just wanted you to have it. And, and it was hard walking on her property. It was hard knocking on the door and it wasn't well received to be quite honest, but I just said, I'm doing what I think the Lord's called me to do. And I've prayed for her and then they were selling their house to move and her husband had already moved. Um, this is a little while later. And um, I went over and I not, Robert and I together went over and knocked on her door and um, she was very stressed out about the move and they hadn't sold their house here and their husband, her husband had already bought a house there and the finances and everything. She goes, we are just in desperate need to sell our house. And my husband and I stood on her front porch and we asked her, could we pray for her? And the three of us stood there holding hands, not an apology had never been said. Forgiveness had never been asked for. I mean, we had forgiven her, but I felt like taking a stand and praying for her showed her that it didn't matter how bad she'd hurt me. She knew she did, that I still loved her with the love that only Christ could, could show. And they got an offer on their house the next day. And, and, I, and I decided that, you know, figure out a way to serve your enemy. And if your focus is not on you, it's on them, then you can do it. And I'm not saying it'll be easy. You know, there's a lot of forgiveness that's really, really painful and really hard. And I'm not discounting that in any way. But if you start praying for them, because if they've hurt you that bad, they need the Lord. And if you have the Lord in you, then you're then you're the person to do it. In my opinion, you're the person to at least be part of it to, to pray. And so, I, I, I mean, I say that saying it's not easy. And like I did with my, this, situation with the forgiveness of of this person I was praying for I, I gave it up for a day I said oh so sorry Lord not ready to do that yet but then I was just quickened in my spirit I mean he's forgiven my sins without a question and forgets them <laughs> who are right we? right not yeah. trying to operate it's you know he has there's a standard that Jesus set and um, I used to tell my kids when you're making a decision about something or you're struggling with something, shoot for the moon. If you miss the moon, you still land on a star. Jesus set the standard. So we're aiming for the standard of Jesus. He was perfect. We're not. So we're never going to fully reach it. But man, I want to be as close to the target as I can. And, and if I miss it, I miss it. 
And then I asked the Lord to forgive me. But sometimes you, you get it right. And, and then what they do with it is on them. I told, I told my husband, I said, if our neighbor threw away that plate after I left, that's on her. <laughs> I did my right. part, you know, and then, you know, and then after she moved, we started talking and we've mended the fences and things like that. But, um, but God calls us to love our enemy, love our, love our enemy. And um, right. he did. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he, he created that person and uh, he didn't create them, uh, uh, the sin that maybe they be, nor ours, you know, but he created them as image bearers of him also in his own image. And so when we can start to see even our enemy, the way that God sees them, it can really shift, um, how we feel about them from anger to, a much softer place and an understanding and oftentimes hurt people, hurt people, you know, hurting people, hurt people. And so when we, then we can pray for them, you know? Yeah. I I think it does turn into compassion. If you can get past the hurt, you know, my dad used to say, you know, forgiveness, unforgiveness is like, you know, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right. They may not even be thinking about the offense they caused you, but your life is being affected by it. And so it benefits us to let things like that go. Ask, I mean, and God is so creative that if you can't think of something creative, pray. If you say, Lord, I want to love my family like you would love them. I want them to see you in me. You know, I tell my, my, you know, my friends, I'm like, I want to be Jesus with skin on. Mm -hmm. You know, I want, I want somebody to say something's different about her. And I want people that I'm in their lives not to question how much I love them. You know, you come into my house, I hug you when you come in and I hug you when you go out. It's a hug in, hug out motto. (laughs) So if you're at my house, you've been hugged twice that day. You may not have been hugged the rest of the week. So we don't don't quite understand or realize the impact and the influence we have Unlike my kids' friends, you know, they call me Mama Kemp or, you know, they have nicknames for me or, you know, or neighbors or whoever's in my home. I have an opportunity to minister to them while they're in my home. And so I hug in and I hug out. And, you know, I tell everybody when I'm meeting them for the first time in our home, you're only a guest once, then you're familia. Yeah, there (laughs) you go. (laughs) They just giggle at me because I just have so many quirky things, but they, they know they're loved. Well, they say that that a hug actually extends your life. And so you're providing health care even for people. You're extending their life every time you hug them in, hug them out. You ought to look up that uh, statistic. It's a certain number of minutes that's added to your life from that hug. Um, I've read that oh, before. Great. I hope it's true. I, that's I one of them. Too. I really hope it's true. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, okay. One more, Terry, tell us, give us one for how to love ourselves. Find something that I love to do this. If you can't really go on vacation a lot or, or ever find something that you would do on vacation and do it in your town. Oh, okay. You like a a different hike or go rent bikes. Our, you know, our downtown area has bikes to rent or little scooters or something. Do something in your own town that makes you feel like you've been on vacation. That sounds like these last two years with coronavirus, and we no one can travel anywhere. We're all on staycation, right? You know exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I really love I love to get in a room by myself and turn my worship music up really loud and just 
sing. I don't have a very good singing voice, but God thinks it's beautiful. And so I just sing to the top of my lungs, you know, to just spend time in his presence. And that rejuvenates me. But taking time for yourself is not selfish. Everybody needs me time. That got a bad rap at one point. Me time, me time. But you do need time for yourself. If it's going into a hot bath with a candle and soothing classical music, do that if you can once a month, twice a month or whatever. When you're feeling run down or, you know, worn out, go read a book. I, mean, I you know, we, our TV broke last week and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I've been reading so much. Right, that's and great. Like, this is really fun. And it kind of, re- I always read a book on vacation. I, I don't, I finish a book, even if I'm reading it up to the driveway, I, my goal, every time we go on vacation is read a book. And so, you know, find a fun book that's, you know, maybe not a self-help or not a Christian, but, you know, a, a novel that's written beautifully and, and escape and something like that. But when it's just me time, I like to feel like I've been refreshed. And so I kind of figure out things that I would do if I were on vacation and do them locally until I can get on vacation. Those are some great ideas. And I know that this week is a lot of fun for people who have a romantic interest in, in their life. But for people, some people who don't have anyone in their life right now in a romantic way, it can be really hard. And so um, one of my daughters, she's such a creative person and she's so busy with school and things like that. And so she said, I just, I'm dating myself. And she says, I'm, she says, I'm the best boyfriend I've ever had. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And just to go on that, you know, everybody, this can be a tough time for people it that want to be married or have had a marriage that ended or whatever the circumstances they find themselves in, or, or you're in college and some of your friends have boyfriends and you don't. And so it's, it can be a hard time. And so what, what I've done, um, we, my husband had a health scare about 15 years ago and it was the week of Valentine's that we found out everything was okay. And we were so grateful and so relieved because what could have been and what was were um, on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so that Valentine's Day, we made a special dinner and the kids painted paintings for dad because he travels and he was coming home that night. And then we had fondue at the end of dinner. That was our dessert. And the kids just thought that was the most amazing thing because we were cutting up apples and bananas and, you know, marshmallows and graham crackers and, you know, shortbread cookies and all kinds of fruit and seeing what they liked the best dipped in the chocolate. So that was a treat for them. It was still dessert, but it was a fun dessert. And that became our thing. Every year after that, we do a fondue party on Valentine's. And a lot of times it was just the five of us. And then it was grandparents. And then it was, and so the last few years I've hosted, we've hosted um, fondue for all of our kids' friends, kids and their friends that don't have boyfriends or girlfriends. And so we, we love them and we want them to know that um, you can still have fun on Valentine's. You can still show love. And if you're a person that wants love in their life, go figure out a way on Valentine's to give it to somebody else that needs it. And I'm going to tell you, your Valentine's will be so much more fulfilled than it could be with a spouse or a boyfriend. If you figure out a way to turn that out outward and okay, you kind of give what you need. You, you need this, you donate it. You need love. You go figure out a way to give love. I try to turn everything around back outward to somebody else. And then that life's hard for all of us. Everybody that is going to listen to this or watch this, 
has has a discouraging thing in their life or an issue or a situation. And it can be really difficult. But if you figure out a way to turn that focus off of what you're going through to put it on someone else, then you're going to figure out yours is getting solved, you know, quicker or or because you're focusing on it, it's being taken care of by the man upstairs because you're you're about the father's business on earth, taking care of his people. Great words of advice. I cannot believe how the time has flown by. I have loved this conversation about love, Terry. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. And I wish you a radically abundant day. 